On the front of your bulletin, you see some family Maybe remind you of your upbringing. Maybe not. I had to Google to remember some of the last names. The Seavers, the Walkers, the Anderson family, father and mother's best. All I can remember was Urkel, um, and that's the Winslow family, and of course the Ricardos. Over the years, though, it, as God intends, our family should be strong, and we hear the word Father, we should love that word because of our Heavenly Father, or Mother's Day we should celebrate, but some people didn't have the experience that I had. Some people had a tough, tough time. Where maybe we should have put the, the Adams family on here, or the Munsters or something, because people come from all sorts of backgrounds. And today we're going to continue in our study of the Ten Commandments, and the first four, no other gods before me, no graven image, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Uh, they talk about our duties to God. And now starting with number five and going forward, they talk about our duties to man. Today, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, you know this one very well. You've heard it forever. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Let us care. Let thus saith the Lord matter to us. Father, thank you for families and whatever background we are from. Father, thank you for being our heavenly Father. Thank you for healing. Thank you for taking care of us when maybe we didn't have the best experience. Or if we did, thank you for godly. But Father, today through this word, help us to see what we can learn, what we can glean from what you have for us today. Father, we gather for celebrating with friends that have moved here for the first time from Alabama, Pennsylvania, Kansas, and other places. Thank you that you called them to your house. And while you have us, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If we follow the first commandment, no other gods before me. Then the next commands become easier. If we have no other gods before, then we're not going to make a graven image about another one. And we're going to not take God's name in vain. We're not going to forget gathering and Sabbath. So this fifth commandment, if followed, honoring your father and your mother, should help us have healthy relationship within society. If we get things right at home, then we'll be better in society. Simply put, the, children, the way children relate to their parents will often determine their success and how to relate to other human beings. When our son Taylor went to work for Dave Ramsey in Nashville, uh, he went through a, lot, a lengthy interview process. Today, the world is different than the world you and I grew up in, if you're my age or older, with resumes on paper and talking to people and shaking hands. It's a lot of phone interviews now. And there's a lot of emailing and back and forth. So he had several of those. And then he had a bunch of face-to-face -face interviews. But the last interview, I think it was number nine, the last interview they had before they hired him was the spousal interview. 
And the joke in our family was he was doomed because Stephanie could never fool him for an hour and a half at dinner. And she did. And everything as well. But the reason they did that, I thought it was perceptive. The reason they did that is they thought, you know, if you have trouble at home, you're going to drag it to work. We don't want you here. I thought that was an interesting thing to do. And so with this fifth commandment, if you start early with difficulty at home, then it can carry on into every relationship you have. So the word for honor in Hebrew is kabod, which literally means to be heavy. To be heavy. So therefore, it, it's giving weight to what your parents say. This is where we learn submission. And whether it's a father figure or whether it's a mother figure, whether it's an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor, a teacher, somebody that was that significant grandparent in your life, that's where we learn to submit. And sometimes it's easier for some of us than for others. Remember the story of the prodigal son? We're not going to look at it today, but that runaway son gave no weight to his father's words. None. We're all guilty of that, aren't we? I remember, I think it was 1975, maybe 74. I was turning 15 and 74, and I needed a car. Cars were cheaper to buy in 1974 than they are today in Atlanta, Georgia. I found something in the newspaper when you used to find things in the newspaper. It was a 1967 MG Midget. And it was in my price range. It was $100. It did not run. And it was a great opportunity for me to drag a lemon home because my father was out of town. Dad was doing a revival somewhere, and I remember before I could spend that $100, uh, I had to talk to him on the phone. And I remember talking to him on the phone, and he said, yeah, it sounds good to me, but I'd like to see it when I get home. So I hung up the phone, and Mary Alice, my stepmother, said, what did he say? He said, it sounds good to him. <laughs> <laughs> but he wanted to see it, and I kind of threw that part out the window. Um, he knew my abilities, that I was not a mechanic, and I never did get it running, and I sold it for less than I paid for. But anyway, <laughs> another 10 payments, and I'll have that thing paid for. <laughs> so we have to give weight to those words because there's such wisdom there. Mothers and fathers. And the prodigal son dishonored not only himself, he dishonored his father and called some long, sleepless nights. Even though my parents have been gone in heaven a, a long time, it's still my responsibility to live in a way that honors them. There's a Grimm's fairy tale that I love about an older man who lived with his son and his son's new wife. Lived there for a while and they had a child and the boy started to grow and he's three or four years old now and as the little one grew, the older gentleman declined and he would sit at the table and he'd miss his mouth and food would be spilled and he'd drop things and this would upset the daughter-in-law. She asked her husband to do something and he didn't know what to do. They finally decided to move him to the corner and put him at a table by himself with a bowl and a spoon. One day he dropped the bowl and broke it. 
And his daughter-in-law said, if you want to eat like a pig, then we're going to serve you like a pig. And so they made a wooden trough and put it over there in the corner for the old man to eat out of. Not long afterwards, they came to their son playing with some pieces of wood. The dad asked what he was doing. The boy looked up and smiled and says, I'm making a trough to feed you and mama when I get big. <laughs> the next day, the old man was back at the table with the family again, and no one ever scalded or mistreated him again. Love the story, a lot of lessons there, but to paraphrase, honor your parents lest your children dishonor you. Does that make sense? Honor your parents lest your children dishonor you because they're watching. They're watching the way you relate. And by and large, that's going to be the way, good chance, that they relate to you. God cares how we treat our parents. Proverbs 30, 17, look at this one. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That's pleasant, isn't it? <laughs> God was serious about that family relationship. And when these words were written, fathers especially had remarkable powers. Exodus 21, 15. Whoever strikes father or mother shall be put to death. Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses father or mother shall be put to death. Remember the story from Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Abraham rose early in the morning, sat on his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God showed him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. You know the story. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. They walked on together. When they came to the place that God showed him, Abraham built an altar there, laid wood in order, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to kill his son, but the angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know you fear God, that you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught the thicket by its horns and went and took the ram and offered it up in the burnt offering instead of his son. A lot of lessons here, a lot of New Testament thoughts come out of this one. But the fact that no one questioned Abraham about his right to do this is what we look at today. He could have. He had every right to do that. That's the power that the parents had. As powerful as the parents were, children were considered valuable. And I hope we do today as well. Job chapter 1. Remember when Job is listed, his assets, of his, how wealthy his was. Look at his first asset. Uh, 
Uh, here was once a man in the land of us named Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned from evil. There were born to him seven sons, three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and so on and so forth. But his first assets listed seven sons and three daughters. Psalm 127 talks about children this way. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the game. God intends for parents to treasure their children. A century ago, in this country, American homes were designed to house grandparents and parents and the maiden man and the uncle and children and all sorts of family under one roof. Remember the Waltons? Did you ever watch that? All of them under one roof. Generations together celebrating the gift of family. We should still celebrate the gift of family, but we get pushed further and further apart. This command, as you know, contains a promise. So that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Ephesians 6 talks about that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may well be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So how can you live longer if you obey your parents? Well, we talked about the power of fathers. If you didn't, they could take you out. Uh, there's something about learning what they tell us and living in a way that stays inside parameters they have set for us. We'll live longer. We will be safer. One Mother's Day at a church in Mississippi, the very church I pastored, we were talking about some, some wisdom your parents had given you, your mothers had given you. Frank Phillips, who was in high school at the time, stood up and he said, I remember my mama telling me I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> Maybe partly that's what it's talking about here in Ephesians or the promise. But if we listen to our parents and we learn discipline and we learn submission, it does serve us well for the rest of our days. So, since my parents are in their heavenly home, does it mean it doesn't apply to me any longer? Of course not, it doesn't. I'm supposed to honor them by the way that I live. But I think it's a new twist that I've learned since I've studied this this week, that the importance of this is how we relate to society through submission and authority. The way I yield now, the way I trust now, can be tied back to what kind of child I was. Giving up my right to be number one is one of the most valuable lessons I have ever learned. We have our grandson with us. He came here last night. We had him for a week. He's 28 months old. We had a little episode this morning. He didn't want to do something that Gigi wanted him to do, and we had to teach him. We can't tell him yes all the time. He's downstairs. He can't hear this. So, so <laughs> We can't tell him yes all the time. That's a disservice, isn't it? He has to learn. Because learning and submitting as a child will affect every day in the rest of your life. It shapes every relationship you'll ever have. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 talks about how we ought to be. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. 
Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Submission is something that was modeled to us by Jesus himself, even to the point of death on a cross. In today's society, it is very interesting some of the things that are happening even now. There are movements that are occurring. There's a Black Lives movement that's occurring. And that is true, but it's not the only life that matters. There's Blue Lives Matter movement for policemen. And while that is true, it's not the only life that matters. All Lives Matter is a movement, and I agree with that one. Can I propose another slogan? that can develop after we learn to submit and trust our parents and grow up the way God wants us to grow up. Maybe this should be a movement that we push. Other lives matter. If the world would live by that motto, that you matter more than I do, that your life is more important to me than my very own, that's what Jesus did. And we can learn that through submitting and through learning and growing correctly. May God bless us as we take his word and let it matter to everyone else. Let's pray to God.